and um, we're just going to pick up where we left off with some high-powered material. We have Dr. Peter Hornowski, who is a professor of philosophy and uh, writer for Catholic Family News. He's written about economic things. He's written about historical things, such as Franco, terrific uh, five-part series on Archbishop Lefebvre and Paul VI. And today, his title is The Message of La Salette, Living Through the Eclipse of the Church. Please welcome Dr. Peter Hornowski. Melanie Calvé begins her account of the apparition of Our Lady at La Salette on September 19th, 1846, as follows. When I woke up, I couldn't see the cows, so I called Maximin. Can we imagine her saying, when I lost my internet connection, <laughs> I called Maximin. We can't, we can't believe. We can only see the wisdom of Our Lady appearing in the peace of the sheep and the cows and amongst the simple souls. She continues, when I woke up, I couldn't see the cows, so I called Maximin and climbed up the little mound. From there, I could see our cows grazing peacefully, and I was on my way down with Maximin on his way up, when all at once I saw brightness like the sun it was far more brilliant, but it had not the same color. And I said to Maximin, come quick and see the bright light down there. And Maximin came down saying, where is it? I pointed to it near the little spring and he stopped when he saw it. Then we saw a lady in the bright light she was sitting with her head in her hands. We were afraid. I let my stick fall. Then Maximin said, keep your stick. If it does anything, I'll give it a good knock. <laughs> then the lady rose up, crossed her arms, and said to us, come near my children. Be not afraid. I am here to tell you great news. She said to us, weeping all the time that she spoke. And Melanie says, I clearly saw her tears falling. If my people will not submit, I shall be forced to let go the hand of my son. It is so strong, so heavy, that I can no longer uphold it. For how long a time do I suffer for you? If I 
would not have my son abandon you, I am compelled to pray for you without ceasing. And as to you, you take no heed of it. How much you pray, however much you pray, however much you do, you will never recompense the pains I have taken for you. And what has she come to convey? Six days have I given you to labor. The seventh I have kept for myself. They will not give it to me. It is this which makes the hand of my son so heavy. Those who drive the carts cannot swear without introducing the name of my son. These are the two things which make the hand of my son so heavy. If the harvest is spoilt, it is all on your account. So these are the words, the opening words of Our Lady at the Alpine hamlet of La Salette. She, spe she first speaks to the common people and she says, you have violated the sacred by breaking the Sabbath and taking the Lord's name in vain. My job today is going to be easy because I simply need to repeat the words of Our Lady that she meant to give us at La Salette. But here I want to state this. We, I will not try to filter the words of Our Lady at La Salette. Unlike John the 23rd, when speaking about the long-awaited third secret of Fatima, he said, this is not for my pontificate. When Our Lady specifically said that the secret was to be opened and proclaimed by 1960. Also, when he did the same thing again at the opening of Vatican II on October 1st, 11th, 1962, the Feast of the Divine Maternity of the Blessed Virgin Mary. He said, to contrast it with what he intended, he said, we reject the prophets of doom. Who could he mean but the children of La Salette and the children of Fatima? We remember also the statement by Cardinal Ratzinger that the revelations in which Sister Lucy of Fatima had in her convent were most likely compilations of images which she received from devotional books. And also we remember in 2000, 
about the third secret, we were told that it was about a vision of a failed assassination attempt, even though the vision itself did not involve a failed assassination attempt, but a successful one. In presenting the message of La Salette, I will let Our Lady speak for herself as if she might actually have a greater perspective than we do. Maybe heaven has a message for man that was meant to clarify for us the position that Catholics are in in this time and place. If it is an authentic message which has received the approbation of Holy Mother Church, let us hear it and let it speak to us. And also, let it speak for itself. We must also, and I want to do this, we must also attend to the attitude of the visionaries of La Salette, the two little children, Melanie and Maximin, because their attitude is in stark contrast to the universal attitude in modernist philosophy towards the world. For me, their attitude helps to prove the authenticity of this apparition. We see this when we contrast the modernist psychobabble and their subjectivist and egocentric understanding of the world with the disarming realism of the seers Melanie and Maximin. When these were cross-examined about the apparition, we think here of Martin Heidegger, the mentor of Karl Rahner, the most prestigious theologian at Vatican II, for Martin Heidegger, the world was my world, Dasein, the world of my consciousness in which everything appears as only a tool and an instrument only meant to advance my project. Outside of my project, the things in my world have no meaning. This, was, this is the modernist view. And yet, every time the adults, primarily the clerical adults, try to get the children to admit that this purported apparition was simply a projection of the children's own little project. They were knocked down by peasant realism. I'll give you some examples. A priest interrupted Melanie. The priest says, the lady disappeared in the clouds? Melanie, 
There was no cloud. Priest, but it is easy to surround oneself with a cloud and disappear. Melanie, then do you, sir, surround yourself with a cloud and disappear? <laughs> Question to Maximin. The lady has deceived you, Maximin. She foretold to you a famine, and yet the harvest is everywhere good. Maximin, how does that regard me? She told it to me, the rest concerns her. Melanie, question, questioner. The lady you saw was but a bright and luminous cloud. Melanie, but a cloud does not speak. Ma uh, questioning both to Maximin, but perhaps it was the devil that gave you this secret. Maximin, no, but the devil does not have our Lord on his breast, meaning the cross of La Salette. The devil does not have our Lord on his breast, and the devil does not forbid a blasphemy. Melanie came in. He would not forbid swearing. He would not carry the cross. He would not tell us to go to Mass. Questioner. In fact, this lady whom you saw is in prison at Grenoble. Maximin, he will be a very clever man who catches her. <laughs> I should like to be in that prison. And when we think of Heidegger's Denkin thought, the all-encompassing thought of Heidegger, the questioner says, what were you thinking of whilst the lady spoke to you? Maximin, I listened. This unpretentious matter-of-fact realism was backed up by the fact that the children of La Salette did not benefit in any way from the apparition. In fact, a bishop in France, one that was to be the leader of French liberalism, French liberal Catholicism in the 19th century, uh, Felicite, Bishop Felicite Dupenloup, <laughs> sort of fits, yeah, <laughs> fitting. He was, <laughs> it's fun saying that name. <laughs> it, he went to La Salette to interview the children himself and contrary, he, he was a very, I don't know, sort of an effete kind of man. So this sort of peasant, rustic vulgarity of the children sort of turned him off uh, to them personally. But he said, in fact, after he left, he said, the fact is certain that neither one nor the other had any desire whatever to speak of the event which made them so celebrated. 
I will add that during the past two years, the children and their parents have remained as poor as before. This is a fact which I have verified sufficiently for my own satisfaction and which it is most easy to prove beyond a doubt. The fact is that they do not even understand the honors which they have received and seem to have no idea of the interest which attaches to their name. When uh, Monsignor Dupinloop uh, was there and there was uh, 60,000 pilgrims that came to La Salette and yet he says about the children, viewing them, they have given themselves no airs of importance whatsoever. In consequence, nor have they shown any assumption either in their speech or manners. They regard all without any astonishment, without a thought. And listen, without a return upon, without a return upon themselves. The children's story did not alter, even though there was vicious clerical persecution of the children and an attempt to suppress the secret. Even though the apparition was approved by the Holy See, the secret itself was never promoted by the ecclesiastical establishment despite papal recommendations and many imprimaturs. In fact, the faithful were led to believe that it had actually been placed on the index of forbidden books. Melanie was persecuted to such a degree in her own country that for long periods she was forced to live incognito in Italy, where she died at the age of 72. How can this be? Since her own bishop, when she was in Italy, her own bishop, the ordinary of the diocese, asserts that everything, I guarantee that everything that has been conveyed to you, the ecclesiastical authorities, everything that she has published, the full secret that she published in 1879 was exactly what she told me years earlier. And he says, as abbot of the canons regular, his name is Bishop Zola, he says, as abbot of the canons regular of the Lateran at Santa Maria di Piedigrotto in Naples, I had occasion in my capacity as superior of that order to maintain relations with very respected prelates and princes of the Roman Church. They were rather well informed in regard to Melanie and her secrets. Almost all had received that document, 
every one of them, without exception, judged very favorably of the divine revelation and the authenticity of the secret. In fact, Bishop Zola says, in 1879, our Holy Father, Leo XIII, deigned to honor Melanie with a private audience and also charged her with compiling the rules of the new order recommended and requested by Our Lady at La Salette under the title of the Apostles of the Latter Days. If this is the case, if, Pius, if Leo XIII invites her to Rome and tells her to follow up on her commission from Our Lady to establish a new order, why was this message not ingrained in the minds of the faithful? Why hasn't it been ingrained in the minds of the faithful for the last 130 years? There's a reason. Guess the reason? Money. Money. <laughs> the root of all evil. Monsignor, uh, Bishop Zola testifies to this. Monsignor Corte, a French bishop, behind the scenes, was making every effort to have the secret put on the index of forbidden books on the pretext that it was causing trouble in France. When Rome heard his case, they rejected it. The Holy Office rejected his claim and endorsed the secret. They refused to condemn it. However, he found a way. He went to the secretary of the Holy Office, Cardinal Caterini, and threatened the withdrawal of Peter's Pence that came from France. So, guess what happens? Soon after, a letter was issued dated August 8th, 1880, which stated that the work in question, namely the secret of La Salette, had been remitted, I'm quoting, remitted to the inquisitors who found it proper to reply that it was not pleasing to the Holy See that the said work be delivered to the public and expressed the desire that wherever copies had been distributed, they be removed as soon as possible from the hands of the faithful. This letter by the Secretary of the Holy Office responding to this threat, financial threat, brought the dissemination of the secret to a standstill in France as far as the establishment was concerned. We know 
that Cardinal Caterini's letter was an act of a party acting independent of the Pope and even acting independent of the congregation of the index and acting independent of the Holy Office. However, this letter's effect on Melanie was profound. Because Melanie was enabled to prove without a shadow of doubt that the letter had been sent without the Pope's knowledge, she believed herself bound to comply with its stricture to the end of her life. Privately, she admitted that the letter had poisoned her existence by making it impossible to fulfill her mission confided to her by Our Lady, at least in France. In 1904, when Melanie died, the enemies of La Salette hoped to deal the final blow to the secret. A decree was promulgated on December 21st, 1915, which ordered the faithful of all countries to abstain from treating or discussing this said question under whatever pretext or form, either in book, pamphlet, or article, signed or anonymous, or in any other way. Although this act was recorded in the Acta Apostolicae Sedis, dated December 31st of 1915, 100 years ago, it bore the signature of no cardinal, no member of the Holy Office. It was simply signed by a notary, Luigi Castellano. It shows no evidence whatsoever, nor does it say that this case had been submitted to Pope Benedict XV for his final approval. But it was enough. This prohibition, this seeming prohibition, has been brandished like a club over the head of the faithful for 100 years to prevent them from hearing a message addressed to all Our Lady's people. Ironically, God brings good out of evil. The secret of La Salette finally broke free of all restriction when Paul VI abolished the Index of Forbidden Books in 1966. By then, of course, the events predicted by the secret were already unfolding. When he, now to the secret, Melanie's secret that she received from Our Lady 
in the midst of that apparition, only heard to her and conveyed faithfully afterwards. If I could give it a theme, because there's so much detail, if I could give it a theme, I would say that the message, the secret, and the message of the secret involves the collapse of the fundamentals. That's hard to say, but I will say it. What are the fundamentals? What are the most important things? What is the most important thing? The sacred. Soren Kierkegaard said that at bottom, the, at the bottom of all arguments, there are theological arguments. Guess what? Our Lady speaks of first in her secret. She speaks of the apostasy. And who does she focus on first? Those men entrusted with bearing the sacred, the priests, the ministers of the sacred. I'm just going to cite what she says. The priests, the priests, ministers of my son, by their wicked lives, by their irreverence, by their impiety in the celebration of the holy mysteries, by their love of money, by their love of honors and pleasures, the priests have become cesspools of impurity. Yes, the priests are asking vengeance, and vengeance is hanging over their heads. Woe to the priests and those dedicated to God, who by their unfaithfulness and their wicked lives are crucifying my son again. And this applies to those with the fullness of the priesthood, the Catholic hierarchy. She says this, the chiefs, the leaders of the people of God have neglected prayers and penance and the devil has dimmed their intelligence. They have become wandering stars, which the old devil will drag along with his tail to make them perish. With the corruption of the priesthood and the episcopacy, Our Lady presents for us what I would call the a time where there will be a practical absence of priests. For there is no one left to beg mercy and forgiveness for the people. There are no more generous souls. 
There is no one left worthy of offering a stainless sacrifice to the eternal for the sake of this world. The apostasy in the clergy and the seeming disappearance, seeming, of the priestly sacred presence from the world. But then she speaks of more. She speaks of what we could say is the formation of a new religion. She says, in the year 1864, Lucifer, together with a large number of demons, will be loosened from hell. They will put an end to faith little by little, even in those dedicated to God. These people, meaning the clergy who do this, these people will take on the spirit of these angels of hell. Several religious institutions will lose all faith, and by all faith, she means the true faith, and will lose many souls. Then this new religion seems to produce a new worship. She says, and a worship that will involve a slackening in the service of God, in the things of God. The spirits of darkness will spread everywhere a universal slackening in all that concerns the service of God, the Opus Dei. There will be churches built to serve these spirits. She seems also to speak of a new church which will be the product of this new religion and this new worship. It will have a structure. It will have institutions. But the faith, the true faith of Jesus Christ will have been sucked out. Everywhere, she says, there will be extraordinary wonders as true faith has faded and false light brightens the people. Woe to the princes of the church who think only of piling riches upon riches to protect their authority and dominate with pride. A church where the hierarchy does not consider protecting the faith of the people and the true worship of God, but in protecting their own authority and dominating. How does this all happen? 
Our Lady speaks about the infiltration of the church, the infiltration of the church. She says, she warns this, may those in charge of religious communities be on their guard against the people they must receive. For the devil will resort to all his evil tricks to introduce sinners into religious orders for disorder and the love of carnal pleasures will be spread all over the earth. The gospel of Jesus Christ has been forgotten. I remember a friend, a man, he recalled the time when he was a younger boy, it was 1960, he told me that he, his father was part of the John Birch Society and he went to pick up if she was going to be a speaker, a woman named Bella Dodd to drive her to this meeting. It was in 1960. And he remembers, I don't know, he was 18 or so. He remembers talking to her and she says, well, you know, there's a plan We've created young men who will infiltrate. She, I told you she was a member of the Communist Party of America, right? Maybe not. Maybe you know already. You know already, I'm sure. Okay. She was a member, a converted member. She changed. She was a Catholic, became a member of the Communist Party of America, and then came back to the faith. And she says, well, you know, we've created these men, young men, and sent them, into this, sent them to subvert, to infiltrate. And my friend there said, well, we, yes, I know. I heard it from my father. The, they're infiltrating. You're infiltrating the State Department and the Foreign Service and the military. And she said, no, that's not what I'm talking about. She told him, and he told me. She said, we've formed young men to infiltrate your seminaries. 1960. And she said to him, think of the date. She said to him that your Catholic church, in a few years, you won't even recognize it. Now he thinks back and realizes you will not even recognize it. Then I cannot forget the most fundamentally disturbing part of the message of Our Lady of La Salette. It's disturbing for any Catholic. And yet remember, 
that this message has the approbation of Pius IX, Leo XIII, Pope St. Pius X. Our Lady said, Rome will lose the faith and become the seat of the Antichrist. What will be the result of this apostasy within the church? The collapse of faith. Well, it's the collapse of the faith and it's the collapse of belief that leads to the collapse of the fundamentals of the state. One depends on the other. You can't have the collapse in the fundamentals of the church without it showing itself in the state and society. Look at what Our Lady says. The true faith to the Lord having been forgotten, each individual will want to be on his own. They will abolish civil rights as well as ecclesiastical. All order, all justice would be trampled underfoot and only homicides, hate, jealousy, lies, and dissension would be seen without love for country or family. All civil governments, all, all, she was not speaking of her own time. Whose time is she speaking of? I was hoping you were going to say that. All civil governments will have one and the same plan, which will be to abolish and to do away with every religious principle, to make way for materialism, atheism, and spiritualism, and vice of all kind. Isn't this the collapse of the fundamentals that is predicted? Is it so foreign to our own situation today? Does it this which maybe surprised them in 1879? Does it surprise us today? Even Plato knew when speaking about the fundamentals that, to, that society is meant to give everyone their due, to everyone his due. Aristotle, the pagan, took it for granted that the family was the fundamental unit that satisfies human needs and therefore is the very foundation of the state. 
What family are we speaking of? He's clear. He says, the division of labor, this is Aristotle, the man of reason. He says, the division of labor between husband and wife is the very, in the state, in the, excuse me, in the family, the division of labor between husband and wife is the most primary division of labor in the state. And without division of labor, no society functions. Are you surprised when Our Lady predicts the collapse of the fundamentals? What's going to happen? Can God leave it like this? The answer is no. Our Lady predicts a chastisement. Our Lady predicts a chastisement. Look what she says. God will strike in an unprecedented way. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth. God will exhaust his wrath upon them. And no one will be able to escape so many afflictions together. God will abandon mankind to itself and will send punishments which will follow one after the other for more than 35 years. The society of man is on the eve of the most terrible scourges and of greatest events. Mankind must expect to be ruled with an iron rod and to drink from the chalice of God's wrath. And then she points out that because during this chastisement, well, let me just recall your attention to this. Remember the beginning of her message? She, she withholds the hand, the striking hand of her son, and it's heavy because it, he's coming down, and she has such a hard time holding it up, and we don't thank her. We, don't, we act like we don't care. Well, what does this mean when I say she predicts a chastisement? You know what? Our Lord wants to strike. And Our Lady will release his hand. She also says, because of the, the faithlessness of man, nature itself will lose its fundamental balance. She says, this thundering sword, all nature will tremble in terror, for the disorders and crimes of men have pierced the vault of the heavens. 
Paris will burn and Marseille will be engulfed. Several cities will be sh shaken down and swallowed up by earthquakes. People will believe that all is lost. Nothing will be seen but murder. Nothing will be heard but the clash of arms and blasphemy. What about the remnant? What about the remnant of the righteous in this universal chastisement? She says, the righteous will suffer greatly. Their prayers, their penances, and their tears will rise up to heaven. And all of God's people will beg for forgiveness and mercy and will plead for my aid and intercession. How does it culminate? What is God's final, what's the, his solution to this problem? And when we think of our world, what else but a divine intervention like this could solve the problems? She says this, I quote directly. Then Jesus Christ, in an act of his justice and his great mercy, will command his angels to have all his enemies put to death. Suddenly, the persecutors of the church of Jesus Christ and those given over to sin will perish and the earth will become desert-like. This is how Our Lady predicts and says our Lord in his wrath will cleanse the world. But then she speaks about a period of peace, a restoration. She says, then peace will be made and man will be reconciled with God. Christ will be served, worshiped and glorified. Char charity will flourish everywhere. The new kings will be the right arm of the church, which will be strong, humble, pious, in its poor but fervent imitation of the virtues of Jesus Christ. The gospel will be preached everywhere, and mankind will make great progress in its faith. For there will be unity among the workers of Jesus Christ, and man will live in fear of God. What it seems to me here, this restoration will, would be what we expect. It is the restoration of the normal. And if you look You remember Hilaire Belloc who said in his book on King Charles I, 
Man will be either ruled by kings or by rich men. So we have portrayed in this period of peace, monarchy, monarchy which does its job, which upholds the right order of things, which upholds the indirect jurisdiction of the church over human society. When we think of this, when we think of our, our Lord, God, restoring the normal, we need to think about the words of St. Pius X when he spoke about the world which we must struggle for in Catholic action. He said, we do not have to come up with new ideas or institutions. We have had a Christian civilization that was built up over 19 centuries. Institutions and structures that have passed the test of the faith and human nature for in the course of a millennia and a half. In some way, that ancient world, that ancient Christendom will be restored. However, man will forget that is the sins of men which are the causes of all the troubles on this earth. So therefore, Our Lady says, this peace will be short-lived. She says, speaks of it as a generation. Then will emerge forerunners of the Antichrist who will fight again against the true church and what do they go after specifically? They will attempt to annihilate the worship of God in order that they be looked upon as gods. And in order to make people ready for the coming of the Antichrist, there's going to be a universal softening up how does that softening up take place? Our Lady says it will be because of a false peace in the world. She also says that in this time, this softening up process, people will think of nothing but amusement. What about the Antichrist himself? He comes from the corruption of the sacred. Our Lady says, God will hand you over to his enemy because the holy places are in a state of corruption. Many convents are no longer Houses of God. Antichrist will be born of a Hebrew nun 
a false virgin who will communicate with the old serpent, the master of impurity. At birth, he will spew out blasphemy, this total twisting. We think of a child, an innocent child, saying its first words, and there's a twisting, there's a diabolical twisting of the natural. At birth, he will spew out blasphemy. He will have teeth. He will be the devil incarnate. He will scream horribly. He will perform wonders. He will feed on nothing but impurity. He will be aided by the legions of hell. In the time of Antichrist, you will have the culmination of the evils of the world in all domains. This is what we call the apocalypse. Our Lady says, speaking of this time, the seasons will be altered. The earth will produce nothing but bad fruit. The stars will lose their regular motion. The moon will only reflect a faint reddish glow. Water and fire will give the earth's globe convulsions with terrible earthquakes, which will swallow up mountains and cities. The church will be in eclipse, and the world will be in dismay. Enoch and Elias will come with the spirit of God. They will preach with the might of God. They will condemn the devilish lapses of the Antichrist. Enoch and Elias will be put to death. And the Antichrist, as fits his name, tries to imitate, tries to mimic, tries to caricature the true Christ, the true Savior, the true King of the world. Our Lady says, the abyss is opening. Here is the King of kings of darkness. Here is the beast with his subjects, calling himself the Savior of the world. He will rise proudly in the air to go to heaven. But then, who wins? Who triumphs? He will be smothered by the breath of Saint Michael the Archangel. He will fall and the earth will open up its fiery bowels and he will have plunged for eternity with all his followers into the everlasting chasms of hell. And then water and fire will purge the earth and consume all the works of men's pride and all will be renewed. God will be served. 
and glorified. What does this say to us? If you remember the beginning, the essence of the apostasy is the loss of the true faith. It's the loss of the true faith. How do you survive ultimately, fundamentally, in your essence? Keep, hold, follow the creed of St. Athanasius. Hold the Catholic faith whole and entire. It is, the t it is time. The sun is darkening. Only faith will survive. The children of the Holy Church, the children of my faith, my true followers, they will grow in their love for God and in all the virtues most precious to me. Blessed are the souls humbly guided by the Holy Ghost. I will fight at their side until they reach a fullness of years. The true faithful, those who have given themselves to me so that I may lead them to my divine son, those whom I carry in my arms, those who have lived on my spirit. I call upon the apostles of the last days, the faithful disciples of Jesus Christ, who have lived in scorn for the world, in poverty and humility, in scorn and in silence, in prayer and in mortification, in chastity, and in union with God in suffering, and unknown to the world. It is time they came out and filled the world with light. I am at your side and within you, provided that your faith is the light which shines upon you in these unhappy days. May your zeal make you famished for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. Fight, children of the light, the few who can see. For now is the time of all times, the end of all Ends. Thank you.